0: Well, it's good to be here this morning. I'm glad I got to, to be up here on a, on a day that's sunny. Uh, so we all come in uh, with good moods and uh, low expectations. And so we're, uh, it's good to be here. I, I've, I've been told by several people that uh, their goal this Sunday was uh, for me to get us out of here in time to beat the Lutherans to Cracker Barrel. but. <laughs> I definitely make no promises uh, since it's a communion Sunday as well. But as you came into worship this morning, what was on your mind? I can't help but sit and stand and sing and praise as we sing the song Gratitude, thinking of all that God has done for us. Those simple words, all my words fall short. I have nothing new. How could I express my gratitude? There was a worship song in uh, probably late 90s, early 2000s, when I was going through uh, Christian college that said uh, the refrain over and over again was, so I'll let my words be few. Jesus, I am so in awe of you. When you came to worship this morning, were you thinking of how great and awesome and holy our God is? Did you come in awe of who he is and think about the opportunity to meet him in this place this morning? as he promises us, that he will do where two or more are gathered. He is there with us, and surely God is here meeting with us in this place this morning. I mean, think about that for a minute. The God of the universe, the God who created the earth, the sun that we so appreciate after January, The stars, the sky, the trees, the animals, everything around us. The God who commanded Noah to build an ark and saved his people through it. The God who led Moses and the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt as a pillar of cloud by day and as a pillar of fire at night. The God who stepped down from his throne in heaven. Took on human flesh. To bear our sin. And be our savior. The God who walked this earth. Who healed the sick. Who cleansed lepers. Who calmed the storm. The God who knit us together in our mother's womb. The God who knows every word that's on our tongue before we even speak it. The God who knows everything we have ever done and still chooses to love us in spite of the mess that we made. That same God meets with us this morning as we gather around his word and as we gather In worship, and as we gather to remember his shed blood on the cross for us. So if you have your Bible this morning, if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 and see what God says to us this morning. Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 7. they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you have a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they that heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you have been found to have fallen short of it. For we have also had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must must give account. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, Let's come before the Lord, our God, in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, again, we come to you and we thank you this morning for our freedom. Our freedom to gather in this place. Our freedom to worship you. Our freedom to speak boldly in our community of our faith in Christ Jesus. God, we pray as we gather this morning around your word that you would do that which you have already promised, that your word would not return empty, but it would accomplish your purpose and your desire this morning, that you would open our hearts to those places that we can't see, where you need to do some pruning in our lives. And Lord, we pray that your message of grace and forgiveness would be so so clear and sweet in our hearts today we pray this in Jesus name amen so it was about 20 years ago early 2000s i'm a brand new youth minister in a little town called defiance ohio and uh you you start out your first position and you get that paycheck i think i was making like $21,000 a year and uh, I thought I was rich. I, uh, I was making it. And I was so excited to find a home. And uh, I go to the local realtor and uh, start talking. She was a member of our, our congregation. And uh, there's tons of homes on the market, but just about this many in my price range uh, on the, the youth minister salary. So we start looking at a whole category that's called fixer-uppers. And uh, I settled on a house that was just a half mile down the road from the church. It's, it's a little uh, one-story bungalow built in 1919. And it looked pretty on the outside, but there are a few things on the inside that needed a little bit of improvement. Yeah, little things like plumbing, electrical, furnace, windows, no air conditioning, a whole line of, of things that needed a little bit of improvement. So one of the first issues that came up after moving into this house was there was a, a leak in the sewer line in the basement, which had the old big cast iron sections of sewer line. And so it had kind of been cobbled together and patched and fixed over the years here and there. And, uh, but it needed a whole section to be cut out and replaced. So I'm like, I got this. I spent some time working with some tradesmen in college so I knew how to do things. So I run to the hardware store, pick up all the supplies I need, the new PVC pipe, all the connectors uh, that go together. And I have everything set to work on my day off. So I wake up on uh, my first day off and uh, I've got everything together. I go down the basement, I start thinking through the day and I think, you know, maybe before I start into this, I should turn the water off to the house. (laughs) Or maybe at least leave a note on the counter upstairs or something, just as a reminder. But I quickly thought, I'm the only one here. I'm working on the project, I know what I'm doing. We're good. So I get into it with my saw. I cut the section of the main sewer line out. And uh, by the time I'm done with that section, the morning car- coffee starts to hit and I realize it's run its natural course. <laughs> so, since I'm at the stopping point in the project, I run upstairs, uh, answer nature's call. And as soon as I hit flush, <laughs> my heart sinks and I realize what I had done (laughs) as I hear the waterfall hitting the concrete floor in the unfinished basement. Needless to say, like most home improvement projects, this one took a lot longer because I had not budgeted the cleanup time that would need to happen in the middle of the project. We're forgetful people, aren't we? How many times did I think, I need to make myself a note? I need to turn that water off. Nah, I got it. I won't forget. I mean, I should know better because probably like many of us in here, I do the morning search for my keys, my wallet, my cell phone, all these things that get scattered around. Where would I put my shoes? We do that panic in the morning. Or every time the power goes off, within five minutes, I walk into another room and flip the light switch on, fully expecting for the light to come on in that room. It takes us very, very little time to forget key elements of our day. We're in good company. The nation of Israel was exactly the same way. This passage in Hebrews, uh, we read uh, multiple quotations and there's a lot of repetition in that throughout chapters three and four. And that's quoting back to Psalm chapter 95. Um, Psalm 95 is really a retelling of the story of the Israelites as they wander, especially Numbers 13 and 14, uh, where they first come to the promised land. They've just been out of Egypt. For about a year and a half or so at that point, and they're getting ready to send spies into uh, the promised land to see what they're dealing with. But if you've done any Old Testament study of the Exodus, you know it's a story of they're so pumped, God's leading them out of captivity in Egypt, get out, we don't have any water. What are we going to do? We don't have any food. What are we going to do? Moses has been up on the mountain too long. We're going to build ourselves an idol. There's a a story and a repetition over and over again of God's people forgetting about his promises and his providence and panicking and looking back to themselves. So if you flip back to Hebrews chapter 7, So I declared an oath in my anger. They will never enter my rest. First thing I want to note from this is the beginning of verse 7. Before quoting the Psalms, the writer of Hebrews says, so as the Holy Spirit says. And I think this is a key reminder as we begin this passage. He's not just quoting a Psalm of David. He's quoting the very words that the Holy Spirit had given to David, to write down years before. As Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy, all of Scripture is God-breathed. This section that he's quoting from from Psalm 95 is God-breathed. The story that's being retold from Numbers 13 and 14 is God's very words to us through Moses. These are the very words of God for teaching rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. So the writer goes on, and throughout Hebrews 3 and 4, the writer pleads with us not to harden our hearts as in the past. Now this is specifically referring back to Numbers 13 and 14, where you see Israel harden their hearts in the wilderness it's the second year after the Israelites have left Egypt. They are, uh, have just arrived outside the promised land. And God tells Moses to take people from every tribe and send these spies into the promised land to see what the land is offered, to see what the people are like, and to give, make a report back to the nation on what this promised land is like. The majority of the spies that went in saw the people and the nations. And honestly, there was fear. We can't do this. There's some big people there. We're going to go in there and they're going to take us out. And so they reported back to the people saying, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size, and the Israelites responded to that with a desire to go back to Egypt. Think about that. This is less than two years since they had been in captivity in Egypt, and they had already forgotten the horrors of being enslaved by another group of people. They were ready to say, God, I know what you said you promised, but forget it. We want to go back. And yet, Caleb and Joshua came back and stood up and said, you know what, the land we explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Now, despite that good report by Caleb and Joshua, the Israelites went with the majority. The Israelites considered stoning them. So as a consequence of their disobedience, the nation of Israel would have to wander in the desert for 40 years until the entire adult generation of disobedience had passed away other than Caleb and Joshua. And only then would they be allowed to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. So that's the backstory to this section that's quoted in Hebrews 3 and 4. We're repeatedly reminded throughout this section not to harden our hearts as the Israelites did. Israel routinely forgot about the the realities of their enslavement in Egypt. They desired to return to that which God had delivered them from. They forgot what God had promised and became impatient in the waiting, wanting to come up with a solution on their own and desiring something that was less than what God had planned for them. Even more than that, they refused to believe that God could and would deliver on the promises that he had made. They saw the impossibilities. They saw the reasons why it wouldn't work from a human perspective and forgot of all that God can and will do. They t- even turned against the leaders that God had placed in their lives to lead them. It's easy to bash on the Israelites, isn't it? Are we really all that different? How do we do when we become impatient in the waiting? When the test results aren't what we hoped they'd be. When things don't come together as we'd like, aren't we tempted to take the easy way out? In our moments of weakness, aren't we tempted to go back to the old habits that God has delivered us from? And we sometimes see how God is moving in the life of someone else and think, he's not going to do that for me. It's tempting in our times of waiting, in our times of weakness, to take our eyes off our Savior and turn them onto ourselves and turn them to all the reasons why this shouldn't work. So Hebrews continues to warn us in verse 12 see to it, brothers and sisters that none of you have a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firm to the very end now you'll, you'll notice it here in verse 13 but throughout this section in the quotations from the Psalms we see The word today capitalized. The word today literally means the time period right now from this day until Christ either returns or calls me home. It's referred other places as a day of grace. The day, the time when I have an opportunity to respond to all that Christ has done for me. None of us know how long that today is. We don't know if we have five minutes, a day, or 50 years. But that time period referred here to today refers to from now until Christ calls me home. That's our day of grace. There's a 17th century poet um, named Richard Baxter who wrote this poem. He says, Lord, it belongs not to my care, whether I die or live. To love and serve thee is my share, and this thy grace must give. If life be long, I will be glad that I may long obey. If short, yet why should I be sad to welcome endless day? What are we gonna do with today? Stepping back to my college years at Concordia University in Chicago, I was blessed to work um, in the HVAC department on campus alongside some great tradesmen. The director of that department on campus, on a Christian college, was a devout Muslim. He had come to America, first century, or first first time immigrant. He and his wife, they moved to Chicago. Worked in the dishrooms of several restaurants downtown Chicago area. Went back to school, got his engineering degree. And was planted as uh, the director of heating and air conditioning on a Christian campus. One of the most devout people I have ever met when it comes, came to his faith. When there were break times in the morning and the afternoon, the rest of the staff would go up to the room, put the coffee on the pot and watch TV for the 15 minutes of break. Sam would be in his office reading and praying. We had a lot of opportunity to talk as I worked alongside him because he didn't really interact with the professors on campus or the many of the students other than the one student worker they got every year. One day he asked me, why do you Christians believe that you can do whatever you want all week, show up on Sunday morning, ask God for forgiveness, and then go do your own thing the rest of the week? And I said, Sam, why do you ask that? And he told me the story about a student worker he'd had years before who loved to go out and live the party life. And Sam asked him, how how can you do that as a person of faith? He goes, it's easy. All I got to do is show up at church on Sunday and be forgiven. I can do what I want. And that single example turned Sam completely off to the Christian faith. We were able to walk through the scriptures and say, Sam, that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not God's desire for us. Yes, his forgiveness and grace are free, and there's nothing we can do of ourselves to earn our salvation. But repentance is more than confessing our sins, it's a change. It's a 180 degree turn. Not that we're always perfect, but we strive each and every day to be more and more like Jesus in our reactions to others, in our interactions with each other's, in our thoughts, our words, our deeds, in our social media posts. Our today matters, not just for us, but for those outside of the church who need to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Our today matters because we are witnesses in the world of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Think about that. The unchurched people in the Seymour community look at you and I to get an idea of whether they want to be involved with Christ. They look to us as representatives of Christ, as representatives of First Baptist Church. Their ideas and views of Jesus Christ are largely based on their interaction with believers. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 to let our light shine before others so they might see our good deeds and give praise to our Father in heaven. Paul encourages in his letter to the Colossians to be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What we do in our today can affect someone else's tomorrow. Our lives must intentionally be lived for the glory of God and the benefit of our neighbor. Take a moment and look back at Hebrews 3.13. says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I don't want us to miss this this morning, but encourage one another daily. As believers in Christ, we have a responsibility today, not only to the world outside the church, but to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to our fellow believers in this place. That's why it's so important that we're connected to our church body. There's that movement right now, I love Jesus, but not the church. And there's some validity in that because we as church people have not always been the best examples of Christ to our world and to our neighbors. But we need each other. God put us in a community for a reason. We need one another. We need other believers to speak words of correction in our lives when we go astray. We need other believers to speak words of grace in our lives when we feel like we're falling short or when we feel like there's no way that God could still possibly love us. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 Reminds us of this. In verse 9, we read, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Picture in your mind for a minute, the fighter in the arena, dressed in full armor, sword drawn, surrounded by a half dozen enemies in a circle. Poor guy doesn't have a chance, does he? He's surrounded No matter which way he turns, no matter which way he wields that sword, there are fighters he can't see that are coming to attack from behind. Now, picture two fighters in that same arena, full armor, swords drawn, standing back to back. Now, they have a 360-degree field of vision. The sneak attack of the enemy has been taken away. They can fight, and they can win because they can see every attack that the enemy will make. We need one another. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ To cover our blind sides. Those times where we're tempted and we don't recognize the temptation for what it is. Those habits we picked up over the years that have just become part of who we are. But someone else can point out to us and help to lovingly restore us. See, we need each other to remind us of who God is and what he has done for us, so we don't harden our hearts towards the very one who has saved us. We need one another to ground us in the Word of God. Hebrews four, twelve to thirteen reminds us of this. It says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. See right here, God's word to us is the very standard by which we live our new lives in Christ. We continually pray that God, through his word, would show us the reality of who we are and whose we are. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We need God's word as a mirror to get an accurate picture of who we really are. To see those areas of sin we can't see on our own. To see those attitudes that keep our eyes fixed on ourselves. God's word reminds us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. God's word reminds us to seek constantly to enter his rest, to live for eternity, not the temporary, to give up the futility of trying to save ourselves and to rest in the saving grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, we can't hide who we really are from God. As Hebrews reminds us, Everyone, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We may be able to put on a good show. We may be able to fool those around us, even sometimes those closest to us. But when it comes down to it, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. He offers us his love, his grace, and his forgiveness today. And he gives us the gift of today to respond to his gift verses 14 through 16 wrap up the chapter reminding us again that God is for us it says therefore since we have such a great high priest who has ascended to the heaven Jesus the son of god let us hold firmly to the faith we profess for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, we're reminded here once again, we don't have to deal with today's problems alone. We have a God who has walked in our shoes, who's experienced temptation, who's experienced human emotion, who's experienced friends that turn on you or let you down. Yet in the midst of all the struggles of human life, Jesus never sinned. Rather, he took our sins upon himself on that cross. He took the punishment that you and I deserve and rose again on that first Easter Sunday in the perfect victory over sin and death and the devil. Because of Jesus, we no longer need the traditional Old Testament high priest. The separation between God and man has been removed. Think about this, we can approach the throne of grace of a holy God in confidence. In fact, he invites us to, to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. No matter what today may bring, we can know that we have direct access to the God of the universe, the God who loves us, the God who has saved us, and that he promises that no matter what happens this side of heaven, our eternity is secure in him. We can hold on to that. We can take that to the bank. And by accepting God's free gift of salvation in Jesus, we know for certain that our tomorrow is secure in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So today's the day. If you haven't yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Are you ready today to take that step? Are you ready to stop striving to earn the favor of God and rest in the free gift of salvation that He's already won for you in Jesus Christ? Are you ready to take the next step of obedience in baptism? Are you ready to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ? Folks, today's the day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank and praise you for your gifts of grace and mercy to us. Lord, we confess that we are undeserving of your love. We are undeserving of your grace. And yet, because of your great love for us, you give it to us anyway. Because of Jesus, we can know that no matter what tomorrow may bring, that our tomorrow is secure in you. Lord, be with us today. Strengthen us through your Holy Spirit to make the most of this time you've given us. Lord, you and you alone know how much time we have. But Lord, strengthen us to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ in this place and to reach out to the community around us so that we can bring as many as possible into the tomorrow that you have prepared for us. God, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.